when you consider the life of Beverly Iris Gardner. It tends to fall into three distinct phases, as characterised by three distinct addresses, from Cardigan Street to Nichols Road to Clive Street. Three distinct chapters in the life and recollections of Beverly Iris Gardner. This is for our family to remember. I hope you enjoy and share the podcast from baby to Beverly to Bebby. Okay, Mum, well, this is the third part of the story, from baby to Beverly to Bebby. This is, uh, and the I guess... The final chapter? Well, I wouldn't go that far, but this is the third part. So, obviously, with the baby, we talked about uh, your move with your life in Cardigan Street, Carlton. Yes. Uh, as a young girl, growing up. And then the second part, obviously, we spoke more about you as a, uh, a wife and as a mother, and Nichols Road Ormond would define yeah. it. And now we're sitting here, obviously, in Clive Street in uh, Brighton East, but... To get here, of course, we, we have to go through a sad moment in our lives. Yes. Our lives is the passing of Dad in we the do. 25th of February, what, 17 years ago? So 17 years, yes. Very, very sad moment, but not unexpected. No, he was sick for a long time. He was sick for two years with one thing and another. Each year, it'd be uh, he'd have blocked arteries, uh, had to have a, a, stent, a stent put in yeah. the arteries... Then he developed um, diabetes and he was really a very unwell and you've got to give him full, full admiration. He still went to work and we still carried on as a family and he was determined to keep going as long as he could. So he never, he never took any real treatment per se, did he? No. So he meditated? He meditated. When I, we were diagnosed, and who will ever forget that night when he, mm. everyone in the family were there and he was only given a few months to live... And it was the year of Bronwyn and Craig's wedding, and they were going to bring it forward. But we decided that they couldn't. They couldn't change the plan. And I said, "Well, leave it. It's something to aim for." And I read every book I could, as much as I could. Doctors couldn't help me. I went to a GP and asked him if there was any way of helping, and he couldn't even look me in the eye. He just had his head down and said, "No, no." And then I spoke to the lung specialist who'd given him the diagnosis and he just advised us to make financial arrangements. Um, so that we did, and but then we tried to get on with things, which we did, and I read a lot of things about vitamins and vegetables, which he was not a lover of either, but I silently ploughed them into him. I used to make him lots of soups with lots of vegetables. And ascorbic acid, I remember. Ascorbic acid, which is a high content of vitamin C. And um, something helped. Yeah. He would never go and get further opinions. Once the time was up, Bronnie and Craig had their lovely wedding. He said, I'm not going to be x-rayed because I don't want to know if it's got worse. I'm going to continue on with what I'm doing. So, Which was brave. Which was a great thing to do. Yeah. And then, of course, he was looking forward to grandchildren, which um, Molly, Molly, Molly right, came yeah. along, and, oh, it was a great joy to both of us. And followed quickly by Chloe. And Jack. And then Jack. And then Little Spell. And then, of course, Sandy's girls. And Holly. Char oh, sorry, I forgot Holly. And then Charlie and Mimi. And so all of a sudden, after having three boys and a girl, I had five granddaughters and one grandson, which rounded things up very amazingly. So, and Mum, when, when Dad 
died on the 25th of February, so five yeah. days after his 70th birthday. Yes, which he said was the best birthday he'd ever had, ever, which was amazing, I've got to say. I just felt I personally, I don't want to be a martyr, but I just sort of thought, oh, I can't keep doing this. But he did pass, and it was a blessing. He could never have come home. The doctor told me that the oxygen tanks couldn't be in a home, in a house. They'd have to be in a nursing home, and thank goodness that didn't happen. And he died, and we all went in, and the funeral was amazing. People came from all over the place. It was very popular, and I think the family were very popular too. Flowers filled room after room. We had so many, we had to put them out on the veranda at night. Um, and a terrific loss, but um, never forgotten, never replaced. So, uh, tell me, tell me, the, the idea. I mean, you've lived in that house for since you were really still a young twenty. Girl. I lived there for forty-seven and a half years. For, and, and so, one day you just decided you wanted to move. How, how did that well, happen? Well, after he died. It was very empty, and he said to me, don't sell the house, don't sell the house. So he had that thing, don't ever meet anyone else and get married again, and don't sell the house. He made sure I was covered. So I started, I put off a lot of things. When when I worked for the doctor, I had knee problems, and he said, oh, that knee needs to be done, but I couldn't leave him at that stage. So after he died, I sort of persevered, but it was a big job cleaning the pool and keeping up. I had people in, but I could see that things needed to be done, spouting new carpet and a bit of a a whole lot of money to be spent on upkeep. So I thought about it and it was a very hard decision. And um, so I put it off for 12 months and I had my left knee done and came home and I thought, no, I can't do this. I was on crutches trying to get around. And I was only using like a kitchen and the bedroom. I used to go to bed and watch TV rather than sit in a big house by myself. And um, so two years after he died, I said to all of you, I'm going to, uh, I'm thinking of selling. And uh, Craig and Nick weren't keen about it. They said, oh, you can't sell our home. And I said, well, you're never home, Nick in particular. Craig would have loved to have bought it. And I said, well, if you want to buy me out, speak to Bronwyn. But Bronwyn didn't want to, to do that. So um, so the decision came and it was a very nerve-wracking time. I had to get rid of a lot of stuff. And um, I think I, the girls got $200 on a very wet day at a half, selling half the house which I split the money with them, Holly, Molly, and I don't know who else was there. I might have been one of Andy's girls. And um, anyhow, then I thought, then I started, oh, then I had the house up for auction and it had to be every four times a week getting the pool, leaves out of the pool. Like everyone and, does not sell a house, And I found it very tedious. So I said to him, if someone comes along, I'd love a family to buy it. I had no, so I wanted the money and um, to buy something else. And I said, I don't want to go to an auction. I can't stand all this. So um, he had several people who were interested. And then there were two, which was good. And a young couple that without children bought it. 
and uh, so I had a long settlement and gave me time to sort of start looking around to buy something but I couldn't see anything I liked so I rented for 12 months in a very nice place I got, Andy got it from me from McCain and Burton in Turak and I really liked it there because it was close to everything and but I couldn't afford um, prices of Turak so then I decided to rent for 12 months they were very good to me all the neighbours there and then I thought no I want some of my I had my books and photographs and things all in storage I thought no even though this is quite nice I want my own place so then the hunt was on, and um, to cut a long story short, here we, are. here we are in Clive Street. And you're happy? I came here and it was yeah. empty, it was a new place, and um, I thought, oh, this is all right. Unlike Ormond, which was a very old place, this was all brand new, with all new fittings and fixtures, and I thought, yes, I think I could make this a home. So I made an offer and of course they played the game somebody else wanted it as it turned out it was somebody else the girl next that was next door wanted it and she was a real estate agent herself so I said well I can pay cash on Monday night this was on a Saturday I made the offer what well of course the builder was in trouble financially so um yeah done 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 and dusted so here I am, and yeah, it's been all right. It's nice and close to to you, and close to Craig, and it's close to everything really here. So the third stage of your life as a grandmother, you know, so you're, you're now a single, a widow. Yeah, widow. And, and and a grandmother. Yeah. I mean, so what what is what does life look like for you now? At this very minute? You're busy, yeah. You've been busy. You've, oh, you've well, had lots of friends. I, I should cover the grandchildren first. The grandchildren bring you great joy, as you now know, with your little fellow. And um, they, they're sort of lovely. You got, haven't got the same responsibility that you have as a mum and dad. And although you're all good children, but the grandchildren were really special. So I had a lot to do with them. Bronwyn decided to go back to work, so I used to have Molly one day a week and she was only a little toddler when Bronwyn became pregnant with Jack. And um, then she went into hospital. I looked after Molly and Craig said, you better come in, it's a boy and he's a whopper. So I scooped Molly up and off we went to see uh, Jack. And then, of course... Little Chloe came along, and Al and I adored her as well. And he used to go down with all her dolls. So we still got that photo of him going through all the teddies and things with her. And of course, I bought both the girls, Molly and Chloe, a bubby and a pram. <laughs> and that's where the baby came from. Uh, the day I was looking after Molly, she was only, I had bought her a little pram, Dolly and Pram, for Christmas. And I was looking after and she was in the hallway and I must have gone into a room. She couldn't see where I was for a minute. And she called out, baby, baby, baby. So It's stuck. It's stuck. People say to me, what's a baby? I say, well, that's my grandchildren's name for me. So, um, yeah, she couldn't say Beverly, so it's <laughs> easy to say. You're, so, you're never going to be a nana, though. In your own mind, you're happy with a baby? Oh, yes. Yes. Well, I always thought of my mum. No one could match her, and she was a nana. Yeah. I thought, no, I can't be a nana. That mum was special, and that she was a nana. 
And uh, yeah, anyway, Bebe's stuck and it's fine. And I think a lot of people don't. Charlie and Mimi call me Beb, they've abbreviated again. And uh, yeah, but I think it's special. It's a special little name. Even the boyfriends and uh, Francesca and uh, um, Josh, I don't think Josh called me Bebe, Bebe but uh, anyway, whatever. So the, they all went to school, the, the grandchildren, and I took light. I used to go to the ballet concerts and got a bit much there at one stage. It was about five in a row, but uh, Al said never again. So you had a, always had a close circle of friends and very, very close, close friends. friends. Friends you had with Dad, but also friends you had yourself. Since I was... A, a, I've never lost a friend, really. I'll... Yes, one I have, I just, uh, she had a problem. But, uh, yeah, I've had all those friends and unfortunately they're all ailing. They're all, um, yeah, it's very sad. Each one of them's got a problem at the moment and um, hopefully I don't develop one of those myself. But so I, I move forward and I think, uh, um, I spoke to Eunice the other day, I hadn't heard from her, and she said she wakes up in the morning and doesn't want to get on with the day. And I said, oh, Eunice, that's so sad. You need to go and speak to somebody. Oh, I just don't know. You know, she'd lost, she's lost. I said, go and keep busy. You've got to keep busy, which is what I've done. You have kept busy. So the things like U3A and... and U3A, I've done quite a few courses. I've done the law... And why do you, why do you like it? What, what, is, what is it about? Well, I probably because I left school so young, and I have read a lot. I'm sure it, I've been educated with work and um, reading, and mixing with people. I think that's been an education itself. But I like it because I hear facts that I didn't know. Where, I'm do, I'm in my third year of biology. And, of course, is doing the climate change, which is very, very scary for the young ones. But, um, and the politicians don't believe in it, but it's going to be, it's a very real thing. Of course it is. When you, he's had all the material, and he's a biochemist, and he's also, he's just a clever guy all around. He was a teacher in a Jewish school, he still t- teaches. And I've done um, Australian history, which I found I really loved. I, lo- I loved history at school. And I've done American history. And I go to perspective classes, which is you have a different lecturer every fortnight. And it can range from somebody telling you what a lot of rot it is taking vitamins and, and not to take them. And then you get the... Um, um, all sorts of people, people yeah. that, that tell Different you not to be scammed, and yeah. a lot of people can be and, and have been to be aware and report them. Um, and oh, it's been very fulfilling, U3A. So, it's, but it is, I mean, yeah, there clearly have been those three chapters in your life, haven't they? This is clearly a different chapter. Oh, yes, this is the final chapter, you've got to say. And so, we're well, 83. I'm 83. And I'm sort of trying to... But you're 83 and you're still going to university at the third age and you're doing your probus and you still walk with your friends, so... I walk Saturday. You're alone, but you're not lonely. Oh, no, no. I walk Saturday and I walk Monday with another different group that we do exercises. We walk around Caulfield Park. And Saturday one, I walk along the beach to Elwood and back. 
and um, then Tuesdays U3A and then Thursday once a month Probus and I also belong to a book club so I read a book a month Mm -hmm. and we discuss that and so I try to keep my mind active. <coughs> I so think that's so dad, dad said, asked you not to sell the house and not to go to anyone else. You, you, you broke one. Why didn't did you break the other one? I've never, never been interested in anybody else. So I've actually had three men that have asked me out. And I um, don't know, I always can see him still sitting on that chair. Yeah, I was only in my 60s, and which wasn't all that old. And people say to me, you know, I'm surprised you never met somebody else. But um, he'd be a hard act to follow. And um, and I I really adored him, Paul, and I don't think I'd be happy with... You know, I, I don't want to break somebody else in and look after somebody else. <laughs> I looked after him all yeah. those last 20 years, which were hard. And, uh, and then I've had all these other little bits and pieces like my knees wore out and I've had to have them both replaced and hands and had to be done. And it's part of the ageing process. So I've, I want to keep healthy and if I have to choose a way to go, I like to go like my parents. Boom. Just stop. But your health is pretty good. Yeah, I'm pretty good for, for my age. People say to me, I've got amazing energy. Yeah. And I think I learned from working for the doctor that you must eat properly. And so regardless... You always I'm, cook yourself at dinner? I always cook vegetables mm-hmm. and uh, really cook a meal every night. When I say every night, it might do me for two nights, but I make sure that I have all those necessary things... I see people, I used to see people come in and when they get old they can't be bothered. And I've got a lot of friends like this that just cook an egg or open up a tin of soup and Dr Rosengarten would look in their fridges and they wouldn't have any food. And it's a sad thing. I mean, you know, the body needs fuel like your car, so you've got to look after it. You can't expect your brain to be active if you're not eating properly, so... So you've had a, a really, really interesting life to date, haven't you? I mean, from a young, a young girl in Carlton to um, a, a working in radio stations and lawyers and doctors and living with Dad, who was a large-than-life character, and now and all your friends and your study and your involvement. What, 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 what are the things that sort of stand out for you? If you're talking to your grandchildren or great-grandchildren, what are the things that stand out? Is it, is it a man walking on the moon or is it colour TV or... What are the things that I've only three years? Lots of things stand out. The main, most wonderful thing in my life is having children. That's fulfilled me better than anything else. Um, That is my main love in life, apart from your dad. Um, Yes, and the love of a family. Now it's quite a large family. Now you're a great-grandmother. Great-grandmother too two little boys and the boys are having a run now we're starting on the boys uh, and they're just delightful I just adore them I don't have anything much to do with them but uh, you know they smile when they see me and Rocket kisses me goodbye and uh, yeah so that's a joy the thing that stands out um, lots of highlights I think I remember my parents the hard time they had with Dad sick in hospital for years and years and Mum keeping us together. We didn't have to be spread out or go to 
care like a lot of kids in that era of after the war and depression. Um, I think that was a big impact, the end of the war. Um, for the joy it brought everyone around that lived around us in Carlton. Um, strange enough, the Olympic Games, seeing that in, in Melbourne, Melbourne 50, and seeing this Melbourne change... Well, 956, rather, wasn't it? 56. Yeah, 56. It changed overnight from quiet, it was always sombre, Sundays were very quiet, nothing ever happened on the Sunday. It was church and roast lamb dinner and then bad luck you had to fill in the afternoon. I, luckily I was a reader. and um, But that changed Melbourne. All of a sudden we became a different city. Different foods came into Melbourne, the Italians, the Jewish people, the Greeks. And all of a sudden we were eating food, my parents included, um, that we'd never ever heard of. And it was joyful to you know, to go to a restaurant and eat a meal out. Um, yeah, the man on the moon would be up there. The man on the moon. Um, that was an, an amazing day. Also, the eclipse once, the whole darkness. <laughs> there was a day the eclipse came. You were all children. All of a sudden, all the birds start twittering like as if and went completely black. And then the gradually came back, that was interesting. I think television too, um, when mum was a child, they, they had to have a little crystal set to have it, to get any sound, and the telephone, they, they didn't have that. Um, but television was a big impact, all of a sudden, for people who didn't have a lot of money, like my parents, to have a television that entertained you every night was a wonderful thing for them. I wasn't there when I was lived there, but uh, they got it. And I remember we all went over, the kids and all, to sit and look at the TV, um, which we got later on ourselves. Yeah, I have no regrets what I've done in my life. I've been loved by family, um, my parents, you know, my brothers. That was a sad time. That was um, to lose the four, four in one decade, like mum, dad, Noel and Barry, was a terrible thing. It wipes out a whole family. Um, yeah, that, and then of course dad with his illnesses. And I remember one of the doctors, he operated on Al about four times. Al had a stroke and he, he was the doctor. And he rang up like as if he was my best friend. He went, oh, hello, I've got bad news for you. He won't last the night. He said when I was uh, had an artery in my hand, it broke. And so is there anything you want to do to go up and see him? And I'd already just come home. And I said, no. And he said, are you listening to me? Do you hear him know how sombre it is? I said, yes. And I have heard you say that about six other times. <laughs> and the next morning, I mean, I didn't sleep, I must admit, it sort of had a bit of an effect on me. I thought, oh, God, here we go again. And um, the next morning he rang, Dal, will you bring in the sporting globe? <laughs> I said, are you all right? And he was sewn up like as if someone had sewn up a Hessian bag and had all this black stitching down his carotid artery. And I thought, oh. Leone called him the European wasp because you bash him on the head 
Okay, get along. And all of a sudden they're on their back and you see the legs wiggling again. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so, look, I'm really fortunate. I hope each one of my children can say the same. Each one of my grandchildren can say the same. There's, I do believe there's a heaven and hell on earth. We all go through the most heavenly times in our lives. And boy, oh boy, we go through some devastating times. Do you believe there's a heaven and hell full stop? Not now. No, I don't. And yet I've been brought up in a religious... Um, I don't believe... What, what did you change? What, what changed you? Um, science. I think learning biology, I've learned so much. And um, Yeah. I, I believe there's something... But I don't know whether it's a heaven and hell. Mm. We also will meet again. I mean, um, I wish I had the faith like Genevieve and her mum, and they believe Jeff's watching over us. I mean, I must admit, I do look at the clouds sometimes. I think, if you're looking down on me, hello. But, you know, that's sort of like a bit of a yeah. fairy fantasy sort of tale. But, uh, yes, no, I sort of think... We all live under this big blue sky. There's no body better than mm. Jewish people, European people, Australians. I think, unfortunately, we don't all get on, but um, I do think we need to. That's a nice place to stop. Now, Mum, I know just to circle back, I know that people listening to this will, will obviously say, I want to hear about Mr Mersk. Can you just, for a couple of minutes... Just tell us about the characters in Carlton. The characters? Well, the whole street was full of characters. Uh, Mr Mersky was... And Mr and Mrs Mersky had a haberdashery shop that was near um, Jimmy Watson's. Jimmy Watson's was the on wine, one the corner, wine the wine bar, yeah. which is still there, and Mr and Mrs Mersky. And during the war, things were hard to get, so you couldn't buy lots of things. Mr Mersky had boxes up to the ceiling either side of the shop, and he also was a dry cleaning agent. He had the unfortunate problem of having very, very thick glasses, <laughs> like the bottom of a beer glass, and he was small. He was small and short, and Mrs Mersky was rotund <laughs> and short. And I think she was either going through her menopause or she was a nut. So you'd go down, Mum would say to me, I did all this, Mum would say, I want two peaches, will you go and get them? Never, never a list, ever. You just get back, oh, I forgot to get you. So this day she said, um, will you go and get Barry's dry clean? Barry being my youngest brother. And he, was, he used to dress beautifully. He used to buy all the Italian Close. So when I went in, Mrs Mersky was serving and uh, she said, you're not to come in this shop. You've very, got very long legs and Mr Mersky's not allowed to serve you. And <laughs> so with the pants, instead of just handing to me flat, she starts to crumble them up in a ball. <laughs> and I said, don't do that. And she went, no, I don't want you in the shop. So... Out I went and took them home. Mum said, what's that? And I said, that's Barry's dry cleaning. And I said, I'm not going back there. I said, if I walk past her and she's 
washing down the, the outside. She hoses my feet. <laughs> and so Mum went back and he was in the shop by this time. And as I've told you, he had, he had massive eyes because he had to look through these glasses and he was very scared of her. So Mum said, look at what your wife just did to my son's child. My daughter just been down. And it's disgusting, look. And he was smoothing the map with his hand, saying, oh, they're all right, they're all right. And Mum said to him, are you cockeyed or something? <laughs> and he said, as a matter of fact, I am. <laughs> so that's Mr and Mrs Mersky for you. Oh, dear, they were characters. But we had a lot, two men lived down out near the lane near us and they lived in a condemned house, Alf and Joe, and they walked around all day collecting things out of bins. And uh, my grandmother was a very cheerful lady. Oh, hi, Alf, hi, Joe, she'd say to them. And, and um, Mum would say, don't you talk to me, two old tramps. Anyhow, one of them got sick and Ma went down to see if they were all right. They were professors that had worked at the University of Melbourne they lived in this condemned house. There was no floorboards. It was just the dirt. And uh, they had piled up papers. And um, anyway, they both died. I don't know what happened to them. But they were interesting. Eccentrics. Oh, we had plenty of them. And then in the same street, little little um, Elgin Street, there was a lady and mum called her dolls because she used to make rag dolls. They didn't have, didn't know their surnames, so they just got, she got called Dolls and Dolls' nephew, so he lived with her and he used to insert stuff into the doll. Oh, they were characters and look, there were lots, but they were the most wonderful lot of people, wonderful people. And there was another man who was the projectionist at the Carlton Theatre and he had a one leg shorter than the other and had to wear a massive boot <laughs> like that. Anyway, he won, he won 10,000 pounds, I think it would have been. So, um, and you know what happened to him? He celebrated so much he fell over the balcony and died. <laughs> I really shouldn't laugh, but that's what happened. I can't think what his name was. I think he was a relative of Jean's. <laughs> oh... So there, do you want to finish it? You wonder, you, wonder, you wonder whether it's improved, don't you? When you look back at those characters, the times you had, and you had not much as a kid. And, and we had nothing. And here you are, you just laugh about the... It's, it, was, it was always it was so depressing, it was funny. Well, we did... And we, I remember being cold. I remember being cold. Mum couldn't afford... She had a kerosene heater, and it used to really burn your eyeballs out. And... Uh, but look, we managed, and she was a, a remarkable lady to have kept us all together in tough times. And I think her mum was too. She was special. And I did tell you about um, Ma being Father Christmas, didn't I? Yeah, yeah. I the earlier one. Yeah, she was a remarkable lady too. So I've been blessed with that. So was A.B. Facey's famous book title, You've Had a Fortunate Life. I certainly have. And Mum, we're very pleased that you're still here. And we look forward to, you know, many, many more years and many, many more stories and <laughs> many more adventures. So thanks for doing the podcast. Pleasure, Paul. Thank you.